Welcome to Across the Dietary Universe, a podcast where we bring experts along our voyage to discover the secrets of food and how it relates to each of our unique dietary profiles. From the origins of diets to current eating trends to the frontier of food innovation and the future of how we eat, we'll discover that when it comes to food, things are not necessarily as they seem. Honeycomb is a mobile app that works with your iPhone or Android device to help you find suitable food to eat at restaurants near you based on your specific dietary requirements. If you're plant-based and celiac, low FODMAP with a tree nut allergy, keto and dairy-free, we support countless dietary combinations and profiles. Based on your inputs, Honeycomb curates the best restaurants for you and the best options to order at those restaurants. If you have more severe allergies, don't worry. Honeycomb only recommends you places that have a clear protocol to deal with cross-contamination. Pre-order Honeycomb today at get.honeycomb.ai. Okay, Bay, it is awesome to have you on the Across the Dietary Universe podcast uh, when Marina our VP of operations told me that we're going to be speaking to you and that your company is a company that creates low FODMAP, gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan sauces, um, soups, and gravies. I was very, very excited because I have uh, a bit of history with low FODMAP. And, um, well, we should just jump into it. So I'd like to introduce everyone to Bay Burdett. Uh, she's an entrepreneur who started Bay's Kitchen, which is a low FODMAP, gluten-free, dairy-free, and vegan sauce, soup, and gravy brand. After being diagnosed with IBS and following a low FODMAP diet, Bay recognized the lack of ready-made sauces that were suitable to her new diet and launched her brand after a couple years of recipe testing. The brand is an award-winning is, is award brand and has now stocked, hundreds in, stocked in hundreds of supermarkets across a few countries. And one thing that I found out recently on your story, Bay, is that you just won an award. Yeah, <laughs> it's been quite uh, quite the twenty four hours actually. We've actually just won. Well, we've been we've won one award and been shortlisted for another. So, um, yeah, it's gone a bit crazy. But thank you for having me on this podcast. First of all, it's been, it's very exciting to be here and to be chatting with you. Um, yeah, I can tell you more about the award. It was. Um, I'd love to know more was, about it. It's like a gut health award. Yeah, yeah. So, Food Matters Live is quite a. A big thing here in the UK. It's a big event that happens every year, although not last year due to COVID. It was all online and virtual, but um, it happens every year and it brings together um, lots of people from in the food industry talking all about innovation and and um, and why food matters. So it's, it's often talking about specific ingredients, um, special diets, uh, and everything else. So to win the Gut Health Product of the Year Award um, from them was just phenomenal. It was a dream come true um, because it's, like I say, it's such a prestigious kind of award within the food industry and particularly where, where we deal with special ingredients and special diets and things. It's it's really amazing to be recognized by them. And do they have like a special committee uh, that makes a decision? Is it based off of votes? How does the decision process work? Do you know? It's a good I don't know how the shortlist works. I don't know whether that was a vote, but um, the final, so we made the shortlist, um, I think it was uh, towards the end of May. And then in June, I had to present to a panel of judges. Um, so they have um, some expert judges in the field of gut health. And um, there were three of us as finalists and we all had to present to them um, as to why we believed our product should win um, and what, what we thought was um, so innovative and, and good for the gut um, uh, about our product. So I did that a couple of weeks ago and then, yes, found out last night that, uh, that Bay's Kitchen won, which was phenomenal. That's so brilliant. Well, I'm very happy for you. Uh, where in, uh, in England, because you're in England, right? Mm -hmm. Where in England are yeah. you? Uh, so I'm based in a small town called Cheltenham. Um, okay. It's where we're very known for horse racing here. Okay. Um, but it's about um, uh, about an hour and a half outside of London. It's kind of uh, just south of Birmingham. Um, awesome. So yeah, li little country uh, town. Interesting. So I want to get into your story in a second, but I also have to say we, we just uh, landed a client in, uh, in London. Uh, they're called Germs. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they created a gut health concept restaurant. Um, oh, and, no, and, I haven't heard of them. I'm yeah, going to have to go and check them out. Yeah, I'm planning to, planning to bring um, 
the founder on on the podcast as well, and and that'll be might be a connection to get maybe your products in their store. Um, but anyways, <laughs> already doing that's business great. deals five minutes into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. No, I'll come again if uh, this is what happens. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, so I, I want to get into the story. To me, the reason I created this podcast to begin with is, first of all, uh, okay, we need to know about the technology that's happening in the food space. We need to know about the innovations that are happening and not just code, not just software, but the products themselves, the food itself. And a lot of times when I go to restaurants or I'll, I'll be talking with restaurants, I say, you know, we're doing the exact same thing. Because at Honeycomb, we help people, no matter their dietary restriction or preference, find suitable food to eat. And when I go to the restaurant, I'm like, you're doing the same thing. You're just feeding the people where we direct the people to you. And so to me, it's really important to not only understand the innovation, which is you know a, a, a one component that we'll talk about, but also the story behind the innovation. Uh, for me, and I was telling you sort of off air right before, in 2012, actually, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And it took me actually like three to four years to actually get into remission um, and, and trying all sorts of diets, getting the low FODMAP diet, you know, going through a, a process of having a laundry list of the do's and don'ts and, you know, speaking to dietitian multiple times. Um, it's really, really hard. And that prompted me to start Honeycomb. And I want, I want to sort of know um, a bit about you and get to know the story about you. And that's why our listeners are tuning in today. They don't care about me. They want to know about you. <laughs> so let's, let's, uh, hear sort of what was the, what caused you to go, um, low FODMAP, uh, at the beginning. And for those who don't know, for listeners that don't know, can you give a brief explanation in your words of what a low FODMAP diet means to you? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I'll start with the low FODMAP diet so that when I go into the story, it kind of makes a bit more sense. Okay. But low FODMAP diet was um, scientifically proven um, and researched by uh, Monash University in Australia to reduce and in some cases even eliminate symptoms um, for about 75% of those um, who try it, um, specifically targeted towards uh, IBS sufferers, so irritable bowel syndrome. However, I think there are more studies underway and, and because symptoms are very similar, there are other conditions like ulcerative colitis where the low FODMAP diet can really help. Um, so it's any kind of gut related disorders, I guess, that um, cause symptoms like your bloating, your gas, your changes in bowel habits, all those sorts of things that this diet can help. Um, and it works by uh, basically removing hard to digest ingredients. So Things like onions and garlic, lentils, wheat, uh, lactose, things like that go into your gut, but um, we all have different sensitivities to it. Um, but those are particular ingredients that are really hard for the gut to digest. So they end up sitting in the gut, fermenting, and then it's the gases that come from that fermentation that then start to cause your bloating, your gas, your changes in bowel habits, your uncomfortableness. Uh -huh. um, and so by removing those ingredients, it ideally should stop those symptoms from happening. Um, I think it's important, I always try and say, to get, get some sort of medical advice and help. If you can uh, get help from a dietitian, if you're trying to follow the diet, then um, that's really good too, because it is quite a restrictive diet. There are a lot of things on that low FODMAP list. Yeah. Um, so, so try and get some help with it. But um, you effectively take all of the high FODMAP ingredients out of your diet for, um, uh, everyone says it's different, but somewhere between four and eight weeks. Right. Um, definitely no, no longer than eight weeks um, because long-term restrictive diets can have a negative effect on your gut anyway. Right. So you want to do it for a short period of time and then reintroduce as much as you possibly can. Um, so up to your tolerance levels of all different foods and try and get that, that, variety back in your diet um so that's me waffling on for about five minutes <laughs> no, good. That's very educational it's there very, we go it's very educational. <laughs> honestly for me i haven't been on the low FODMAP. i i the thing with colitis is that you, you sort of oscillate through different um restrictions and mm -hmm. that's when you're in a flare-up 
it's much more restrictive. You recommend, you know, they recommend low FODMAP. Then once you get into remission, you sort of have a, you know, free pass again until you mess up and then have to go back into low FODMAP again. So it's very much an oscillation uh, for people like me who totally suck at keeping their diet together, which is why I had <laughs> to put a company together to do it for me. But anyways, please carry on and tell me a little bit about what caused you to to go into this, you know, sophisticated and sort of unheard of, I mean, not unheard of, but for the average folk, if you ask them low FODMAP, mm. they have no idea what that is. So what it is. Yeah. So what caused um, you? So, yeah. So I, um, I still don't know if this is the exact cause of what started me to um, be unwell, but I used to eat anything and everything. And then I went on a pretty restrictive diet um, for my sister's wedding back in 2012 and it was after that when I just um so after the wedding I just started eating everything normally again so I'd cut out everything like bread pasta pizza all my favorite foods and was just eating quite plain sort of salads vegetables um plain chicken that sort of things um but I did it for about a period of four to six months um so this is where I'm saying don't do the low FODMAP diet for a prolonged period of time without mm. the help of a dietitian, because I believe this is what's caused the issue where my gut microbiome would have changed so much because I did this diet for so long um, that then when I started trying to eat all these foods that I'd eaten all my life up until that point, I was getting horrendous symptoms. Um, and I battled with them without doing anything about it for about three years. Um, which is a bit crazy, but I would get everything from bloating to cramps, um, your changes in bowel habits, your fatigue, your back pain, your everything that goes with it. Um, and flare-ups would be pretty regular, um, once a week at least, probably, um, but vary in uh, how severe they were. And it got to, um, it was October 2015, and I remember it because it was a family holiday. I was away with my mum, my sister, brother-in-law, my nieces, and we were all on a beach, and they were all playing in the sea, having a great time, and I love to do that. I love to play with my nieces and, you know, get involved with the kids and just be silly and enjoy family holidays and things, and yeah. I couldn't do any of that. I was oh, no. lying on that beach in absolute agony didn't know what to do with myself you know was considering going to the hospital the doctor we were out over in Cyprus and I was like I need I need some help I don't understand what's wrong with me this is the worst one yet this is ruining my life and stopping me doing the things right. I want to do right. and so that that was my kind of catalyst where I was like I need to do something about this now this isn't normal um I can't carry on just hiding these symptoms and pretending everything's okay because once a flare-up's gone, everything's back to normal. You forget about it until the next one happens. Did you go at uh, that point to, or prior to that, to to a GI or anything? I imagine you did. I did um, one of these food intolerance tests okay. at one point, um, okay. which I have now been told by lots of dietitians are really not worth the money. Mm. Um, and there's there's lots of research about why they don't work and things. Um, but I did one and it did pull out um, an ingredient for me, um, which is coconut, which I struggle with. Okay. Um, it pulled out a few other things, which I have now found I'm actually OK with. But coconut, it did pull out. Is it, and is it coconut uh, like coconut flakes or, or the coconut meat or is it like coconut milk as well? Yeah, it's all of it. It's all of it. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Um. I can I can um, tolerate a bit. It wasn't like severe on the, yeah. the test, but yeah. yeah, it did come up as one of my triggers, and and that is still true. Um, so, but other than that, I didn't do anything. I didn't go to a doctor. Right. I just I, I didn't talk about it to anyone really. Um, so what know, happened I, after I, the the aha moment at the beach? Where you're like something's wrong with me. I uh, went back to the house we were staying in and rang my GP from Cyprus and booked myself an appointment for the day I returned and went along and saw her. And she then started, um, I can't remember if it was that exact appointment, but um, we did some blood tests, which is where they look for uh, dairy allergy, uh, celiac disease, um, 
and a few other things I think they can rule out and we discussed my symptoms so they can rule out things like um uh, in what is it inflammatory bowel disease so yes. IBD which I think is your collection of things right. like Crohn's and colitis and and things so we talked through all my symptoms and they were ruling out those by that so IBS is to be diagnosed it's it's basically a process of elimination um there's not actually a strict diagnosis for it it's just making checking off the list that it's not any of these other things bowel cancers all those sorts of um uh, issues and um then it basically comes down to right you've got IBS and I was lucky that the doctor that I saw, she didn't know a huge amount about it, but she had heard about the FODMAP diet. And I wish I still had it because its uh, I remember it to this day, but she gave me a post-it note with the word FODMAP written on it because I was like, FOD what? FODMAP. And so she wrote it on this post-it note and gave it to me. And, and that was the extent of the information that I got but she told me that that should help in the meantime she did give me um, prescription for some medications trying to help with the flare-ups and things but she said go and try this it's meant to be really really good and that was the first I ever heard of the FODMAP diet. Excellent Um, well well so I mean you probably told your family and they're like very confused of what's going on. When you tell <laughs> yeah, just a tad. I mean, no one's My heard mom. of it. I remember when I when it happened to me, like nobody has heard of it. No restaurants have heard of it. You go to the supermarket, nobody, heard, no one's heard of it. So that's probably when you started to realize, okay, well, I need to eat food, and there is no food. Mm. Is that exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> Luckily, it's slightly different now, um, where most people I speak to, um, if they haven't heard of it they then they understand it now whereas um before like people would just never have heard of it but mm-hmm. most people now know someone because ibs affects um 20 of the population right. most people know someone in their friends or family if it's not themselves that have got ibs right. and most people now who have ibs know about the fodmap diet so it is starting to get out there most people don't, still don't know what it is, um, but they might have heard yeah. of the word FODMAP and, right. and get a bit confused. But um, yeah, I have found definitely over the last uh, five or six years that um, knowledge is is starting to to get there. Um, it's coming slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. Yes, definitely. I, I do, I do definitely. see more and more investment into gut health. And uh, I think... I mean, I have my theories on where, where it's going to go, and I'm, I'm happy to get to it later, but I don't want to miss out on what was your initial reaction to starting the low FODMAP diet? Because now you sort of have it. You, you, you have the prescription. You know what you need to do. Now you're off to the races trying to feel better. And so how did that go for you in the first one? Did it, was it a bit of trial and error before you got it right? Well, first it was shock, because <laughs> if you go on to the – again slightly different now six years on but at the time it went onto the internet and um when i typed in the fodmap diet luckily for me the first thing that came up was monash university who developed the diet and there was a list of foods on there and i literally didn't know what to do with myself because it was everything that i enjoy eating um things like garlic prawns are one of my favorite dishes ever and i haven't eaten those in six years now um just I was yeah just didn't know how on earth uh, one I was ever going to remember all these foods that I couldn't eat that was one of the biggest challenges my memory is awful so I was like how this is a ridiculous list of food that I can't eat um then the next step was go to the supermarket and try and find some foods that were suitable and that was horrendous because you know everything has got onion powder or garlic puree or you know anything convenient in the slightest so I was having to make every meal from scratch mm-hmm. um which is you know ridiculously time consuming I was working long hours at the time um living on my own and I was like I just can't do this and you do get completely defeated by it and you know you just turn to back almost back to the diet that got me in this problem in the first place which is oh I'll just eat you know a bit of chicken that I know is low FODMAP (laughs) and a bit of this that's low FODMAP and you end up sticking to just a few ingredients that you remember off the top of your head are okay because 
Otherwise, you'd spend four hours in a supermarket trying to remember what bits you can buy that right. are okay. So you would do that, uh, and then I imagine it got boring very, very quickly. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so because it got so boring, I made the time, um, and I always say this, I'm not a chef, but I made the time, spend time in the kitchen to see, like, what could I prepare that made life easier. You know, if I could prepare some meals and put them in the freezer, or if I could make some sauces or something that I, I could use to make my food more tasty and things, what can I do? So I made um, some of my own pasta sauces um, from some recipes, uh, which all had onion and garlic in, which obviously I cut out. And I just threw in a few other herbs and spices and, you know, ingredients um, that I knew I could have. Um, and while saying I'm not a chef, I, you know, they tasted all right. I was like, this is, this is not bad. Um, got friends and family to taste them and things. And, and that's where the idea for Bay's Kitchen came was, okay, right. it can be done. You can have really tasty food whilst following this crazy diet and doing all this research that I'd done after just being given the word FODMAP. Um, I knew that you know, a huge amount of the population were suffering the same way I was. So it wasn't just me that would want these products. So that was where the idea came um, for Bay's Kitchen was, wow. right, I, I can make these. So, why, you know, it's why a can't bit, I make it's a little properly bit like, and sell yeah. them? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a little, it rings a little bit like, you know, any of those Eureka moment stories. Um, but it's, you know, low FODMAP and, 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 tasting good never really went together before no it was always just like well you have to eat and be miserable now to save your gut uh and that's how it was communicated to me it's like well mm. yeah all the tasty food like forget about it you're gonna have to very plain very you know plain and tame food nothing exciting nothing crazy uh and when i saw one of your um one of your sauces the the uh, the green curry Right. I think you have the green. I love yeah. green curry. OK. And to see that, I mean, it just made my heart warm. I'm like, oh, my God, this is <laughs> it's really neat. It's really neat that you have that. Um, yeah. Well, it's one of those things where I worked with a development chef and he loved the the challenge of making um, sauces, which he'd done, you know, his whole career. But um he suddenly had to make, you know, a Jalfrezi curry that wasn't based on onion and garlic. And he was like, well, how am I going to do this? And he loved the idea of this challenge that he'd never had to do um, in his career. Um, and so, yeah, it's exciting that you can make these kinds of things. But it also, I don't know, it kind of dawned on me that all of our kind of taste buds are completely masked by these really strong flavours of onion and garlic. And right. actually, when you take them out and you start looking at all the other flavors you can make some amazing tasting food because they're not masked by these these really over powerful ingredients um, so that was really interesting for us were you in inspired by by uh, are there like cultures that have food that they don't eat onion and garlic where you maybe look to them or what was there any place that you were like well how do we make things taste good without onion and garlic and I mean, you don't need to disclose trade secrets here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> how did you how did you figure it out? Like, what was the research and development process like? Um, I, or, or was a lot of it just like, you know, with the chef and then in your kitchen before when you were, you know, ha when you had your eureka moment? How did how did you how did you manage that? What, what's the research process like? Yeah, I guess so. It started with me messing about in my kitchen and just putting all these different herbs and things together and. I thought they tasted all right. I mean, you probably wouldn't put every single different herb in your spice rack together, but you know, I did. I threw yeah. anything and everything in and thought, well, hang on, this tastes all right. So it can be done. And when I went and found this development chef to work with, um, I knew that, you know, he had a lot more experience in putting flavors together than I did. Um, and, and we spoke about it and he said, no, it can be done. He's like, you've just got to be more clever with the ingredients you're putting in, but there's things like chives that you can use, which are low FODMAP, but give you that onion flavor. Right. And, you know, there's there's different tricks that you can use. Um, yeah. It was actually afterwards, he had another customer he was chatting to, and he ended up talking to her um, about me. And I can't for the life of me remember 
what religion it was, but there's a particular religion and, and they are unable to eat onion and garlic as part of their uh, their religion. Um, and uh, that's what I was looking that for. Actually, came yeah, that came <laughs> afterwards. So it was, <laughs> it was like, oh, okay. So it's not just people with IBS that these foods are good for. There's actually right. this whole uh, whole community um, who who can't eat. So when it you're for when you're presenting to uh, to investors, you have a big bubble that is people with IBS, and then a little small bubble of this religion of our target customers. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what? We haven't done that, but maybe I should. <laughs> I mean, a it good might, idea. might give a bit of a laugh to the uh, to the investors and break the <laughs> <Yes>. ice. <laughs> um, Definitely. I'm in full pitch mode right now with, with it. So I'm thinking of slide decks just running through my mind constantly. <laughs> um, cool. So I, I guess from a... Um, I have some more like particular questions, but I want to answer like, you know, the story questions as well, because then I want to get into some really cool futuristic stuff. But um, what are the what were the biggest challenges? And you can take the you can put the entrepreneurial hat on now as far as the actual business. Um, but what, what were the, the biggest challenges at the start? Because I imagine like, how do you even go about selling this when the buyers probably don't even have never even heard of low FODMAP? Yeah, so I'll come back to that question okay. because actually that was, we've been on a slightly strange journey compared to most food brands. Right. I think one of the biggest challenges was my lack of knowledge of the food industry. Um, so I um, graduated with a degree in creative advertising and went into kind of a marketing career. So nothing to do with food at all. Um, so the, the learning curve was steep um, to understand things like certifications, shelf life of products, um, yet recipe development uh, and, and the fact that recipes have to change quite dramatically to make them um, commercially viable, whereas actually you can make lovely things in your kitchen, but mm -hmm. you know, to actually make that in a factory would cost you an awful lot of money and you wouldn't be able to sell it. Um, so there are a lot of learning curves um, from that respect. Um, money as a startup, you'd, I have no idea how much money food startups really um, absorb uh, and lots of other startup businesses too. But yeah, in the food industry, it's, it's no different. We, you need a lot of money behind you. Did you, did you raise, uh, you know, like angel funding or, or venture capital at all? Yes, we've done, we've got one uh, angel investor on board now. Cool. Um, so we, I did, um, I, me and my family put some money in to start off with. Um, I've then got um, our commercial director now. He's a shareholder in the business, so he joined me and and um, and is employed by the company as well as a shareholder. And then we went out for investment at the end of 2019 um, and have an angel investor on board, which is which is great. That's but awesome. Congrats. So all, of, all of that was a massive learning curve as well. I didn't realise yeah. you're going to do all of that and have to go and pitch to investors and yeah, it's all been slightly crazy. In terms of actually selling the products, um, it's it started off easier and it's it's actually got more difficult, which is uh, very strange. So we, um, I had quite a good email list that I built up before launching the products. So I had a good customer base um, of about five or 600 people before I'd even launched. Um, and a couple of online customers, um, their retailers that we still work with today, um, came on board at that point. And this was April 2018. And I went um, straight out to all the big supermarkets and everyone trying to get in thinking, oh, it'd be fine. You know, they'll, they'll want these products. And strangely enough, two of them did. Um, oh. So within three months, I had secured a listing with Acardo, um, which is uh, the UK's biggest online grocery retailer. Um, and it was just right timing with them. Wow. He had had, uh, he wanted some low FODMAP products. He'd had two other brands contact him at the same time. Um, and he was looking to put it into his range. So that was just the most amazing timing ever. Wow. And then with Morrison's, um, normally if you, you're, you know, you've eventually, it can be very hard to find out who the buyer actually is. They stay very kind of undercover because otherwise they just get inundated every day with hundreds of thousands of uh, 
people uh-huh. emailing saying, take my product. So how'd you get, so, how'd you get the undercover cover? Un- so, <laughs> yeah, I, so I worked with a business consultant who had some connections and she put me in touch with someone from Morrison's and luckily and this doesn't normally ever happen but she not only said she wasn't the right person but this is the right person right. But she also copied that person in wow. so I had that person's email address there and then wow. and a, an open chat with them it's very rare um, it's very rare it, it never happens yeah. at all it's never happened since so <laughs> I got very lucky with the Carter and Morrison's yeah and uh, she again was putting in a, a low FODMAP range in, in the Morrison supermarkets. Um, it took a, a year for that fixture to actually happen and, and be implemented in, in uh, about 140 stores we went into. Um, but we, yeah, we got the go ahead in uh, yeah August 2018, um, four months after launching wow. our first, first three products that, yes, we'll, uh, we'll stock you um so that all went brilliantly and then since then it's been very hard to try and get into other places and it's been the normal story of trying to get the right buyer and and um and yeah it's it's a very very competitive uh industry to get right. so, so now i imagine once you're in the first few places you sort of set your benchmarks um and then when you go to new places they're you know they're they're assessing you to a greater degree than when you when you're from start from zero for example is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they do do that as well. Yeah. But that's that's once you actually get into conversation with them. Right. You know, a lot of the time you're just getting ignored. Yeah. <laughs> um, because they they got so many people, you know, reaching out to them and things, and you've got to show why. The thing with retailers, um, and I never understood this before I became came into this industry, and and what consumers don't realize because they, you know, will still message us all the time on email and Instagram saying why can't you be stocked in my local Tesco or mm. why can't you be stocked in, in this other Morrison store when you're in that one sort of thing. Um, and you don't realize that actually how difficult it is to get your products on shelf. Um, so what can, what, what can listeners, what can listeners do to help? Is it just keep sharing it, keep buying it? How does that, how do they help? <laughs> Everything. Yeah. <laughs> if they, if they share it, so you're getting more awareness if they keep buying it. So your sales grow, which you can then show to the retailers. And it also then gives you more money to do more marketing to show the retailers. Right. Um, but also just asking in their in their local stores, if you keep badgering those stores enough for products and, and you know, lots of customers are asking for the same products, right. that gets back to, and even in smaller stores, that, that could be the decision maker you're talking to. And in larger um, supermarkets and things, that, that will go back to the buying team of, we are constantly asked for this product. Can we stock it? Right. Um, so that's one of the best things that, that consumers can do. Um, but yes, it's brand, brands would love to have their products on the shelves of every store yep. possible. <laughs> uh, and it's just, it, yeah. It, yeah, you don't realize until you try uh, to get your products in how, how difficult it can be and competitive it is. Uh, yeah, no, you know, I grew up and my father uh, had a spice company uh, it's a, we come from a Yemenite background and so there's a very specific Yemenite type of spice and, um, and, and he, he concocted it together and, and he went to health food stores, uh, across the country and would sell them. And that was, sometimes we'd have, um, vacations that would be business vacations. So just road trips, door knocking on, um, on, on health food shops, trying to get the, the product in. Uh, and then eventually got the big supermarket and and so on, but uh, it's very very difficult. There are many many challenges um, to that story, and so I'm I'm very aware from from the trenches how that how that <laughs> goes down at the very beginning. So you know, I oh, take, that's take a great story. <laughs> Does um, he still do that now? No, no. Now Run he's he's like semi retired. Now he has an online store that he does like uh, they they sell vintage household goods and stuff. something completely random. Oh, okay. <laughs> very very interesting journey for time for another podcast maybe you know maybe I'll have a <laughs> yeah. Um, but the uh, I guess the question is for for the ones that haven't heard of FODMAP like because I imagine there's still a lot of I can't like. I, I can't imagine every single buyer that you're talking to knows FODMAP and has, you know, um, starting a range, right? Because if they were, I think you'd probably be on there. Um, hmm. But what do they just tell you? Like, oh, we haven't heard of it. We'll do research and get back to you. Is that the norm? It's a bit like that. So um, for a big supermarket, 
um, you've got to kick someone else off the shelf, basically. They don't have ever-expanding shelves. So you've got to prove your case of why your product deserves that space on that shelf more than something else. Um, And so the issue that that we have with, um, with having this really innovative product is the risk factor to them they're like well if what if people don't know fodmap and so people don't buy it and so then i'm going to lose money for that shelf space when i've kicked someone off mm. who maybe is making them some money so that's that's the problem is that it's it's the risk that they take to take on a new brand um to know whether it will sell or not um when one way that we have um adapted to the feedback we've had from uh buyers is by certifying ourselves in other areas as well so we've made ourselves gluten-free dairy-free and the majority of our products are vegan as well which means that we hit a much much larger number of consumers um so we've got a lot of customers who are just gluten-free but and they want sources that are certified as gluten-free because a lot of sources you know naturally are gluten-free but if you're um you know if you really suffer with with gluten intolerance or celiac disease um, and and have the allergy to gluten then you need something that you can trust which is a certified product which is what we do so and what i find is you know not to use the most severe term comorbidities but people with one dietary restriction sometimes have other dietary restrictions as well and i was just on the podcast for the canadian celiac uh, or the canadian celiac podcast and, and we were talking about, you know, it's there's a ton of apps that are out there if you want to find gluten-free food, for example. But what happens if you're gluten-free and have a dairy intolerance? What happens if you're gluten-free and, you know, maybe you also have IBS and you need to get low FODMAP, right? Where do you go then for the answers? And that's something Honeycomb has, you know, tackled from day one because we understand it's, it's this plus that sometimes. Um, and yeah. what I really like, you know, I, I love the idea of having more dairy-free um, sauces on the shelf and, and gut friendly sauces on, on the shelf, most definitely, because I I think, um, it's so, so needed. And, uh, and it just disappointment in my eyes every time I go to the supermarket and I look at the ingredients and I'm like, Oh, it contains like modified milk or something like that. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want another cheat day. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know exactly what you mean. Um, and, and that's another reason why, um we certified for for all of these different areas but also why we focus so much on taste of our products and um and the branding and things because we're like well people are compromising enough we want them to be able to enjoy it but also that um you know sat around a table with a family yeah you might have someone that's decided to be vegetarian you've got someone with ibs you've got someone that's you know, celiac or someone that's celiac and got IBS or something. And, you know, you're going to, you end up having to cook five or six different meals a night and actually you all want to just enjoy one meal together. And that was, that's another reason of why I really wanted to focus on making good tasting food that everyone can enjoy, whether you're low FODMAP or not. What I'd Um, like to see is, is, you know, every family having, whether or not they have, you know, uh, people who in their family who require uh, low FODMAP or gluten-free or vegan or dairy, if you think about your group of friends, if you think about your extended family or your family, if you think about your coworkers, if you think about anyone in your life, it's not going to take you very long to find someone who has any of those issues um, or any of those restrictions. So I, I think it, it would make sense um, in every pantry, that whether or not you even use it, just to to have it because you never know when you're going to have a guest who comes in. Obviously, post COVID, when we have guests again coming over, um, you you just never know. And uh, and to have this, I think, is really useful because it's not just a plant based. It's not just gluten free. It's not. It, it really covers sort of the the, the big um, uh, the big problematic uh, uh, you know r- uh, restrictive diets and so on. So um, I, I guess I have a question for you. Where do you see the you know, food industry and restaurant industry as well, just to like, you know, if you have an opinion on that, where do you see that going over the coming years? We've seen, you know, the rise of gluten-free. We've seen the rise of plant-based. We've seen the rise of keto and paleo before that. Is it, are we, are we seeing the rise of gut-friendly foods? Is that what we're seeing right now, just the beginning of it? Or, or how do you see that plan, uh, pan out? 
definitely yeah no we're seeing the rise of it it's um it was I can't remember a couple of years ago 2018 I think someone wrote an article um in the grocer which is um the UK's kind of biggest uh, trade magazine in the food industry um saying how um the low FODMAP diet was tipped to become bigger than gluten-free because more people suffer with IBS and these types of um, ingredients to do with, uh, with gluten and celiac disease. And actually, it's proven even more by studies um, that people are doing now where they're showing that um, people that think that they've got a gluten intolerance are actually intolerant to fructans um, as part of the low FODMAP diet. And it's right. actually that that sh they should be looking at, not the glutens. Wow. Um, I'm not a dietitian or, or scientist or anything, so I can't give you the exact detail of that, but it, it's something to do with the part of, the, of wheat or whatever it is that they're intolerant to is actually the fructan, not the gluten or something like that. But um, interesting. So yeah, they it, it's it's tipped to become a lot bigger. Uh, and gut health in the UK is one of the biggest trends at the moment. Um, so gluten free is huge anyway, but it's been around right. for quite a while now. Um, so gut health is definitely the the latest one um, uh, that's that's on the radar. It's what everyone's talking about. It's right. Things like Food Matters Live, like I was talking about earlier, the the big um, innovation show and things. Gut health is a massive part of that at the moment, and it's yeah, I think it's just set to become bigger. Right. I mean, my my, my GI um, and, and and I mean, people. I, I want to sort of give a disclaimer for this joke, but I mean, we're we're on a podcast about IBS, so um, bear with me. But he's saying that. Uh, you know, we would have world peace if all the world leaders had good bowel movements in one day. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's kind of right. Uh, you know, the future that I see is like, well, well, maybe these these gut issues that we're having don't need to. Maybe this is just part of the evolution of, you know, all of the you know new types of food that we've been eating over the past century and, and you know, how food has changed. And maybe now we're evolving to smarter food, um, food that can taste amazing but doesn't actually have to hurt us. Um, and it feels mm -hmm. like, you know, we, we sort of think that those two just go hand in hand, that if you have tasty food, it has to, you know, hit you after, you know, with, with, with the food hangover. Um, but maybe it doesn't have to be like that. And, you know, I envision, um, you know, you, we see on menus all the time, GF, we see V, we see VG. And frankly, sometimes GF isn't even what it seems to be because a lot of people who are celiac can't even have GF items if there's cross-contamination and so on. So there's still a lot of education to be done there. But on, um, you know, on the menus, I would love to see, you know, this is the gut health, uh, the get the gut health option, get the option that's going to make you feel better. I think, you know, we see on the menus today, GF, we see V, we see VG, these little insignias that go on the menu. And if you have almost anything else, talk to our server, give us a call, play ingredient Tetris, play Russian roulette. It's very much like the minimum requirements for restaurant is putting VG, V, GF. And even GF arguably is not really useful for a lot of celiacs because it doesn't really show if you accommodate for cross-contamination issues and so on. But I would really mm -hmm. like to see, and you know, sometimes if you're very lucky, you might see an NF, which stands for nut-free. Which nut, we don't really know. But, uh, you know, this is sort of the, the beginning um, of restaurants, you know, w when they are trying to accommodate, they do that. And I would love to see restaurants start adding options for people who have IBS, who have IBD, that, you know, to say, this is a, this is a, a, a gut-friendly version. Um, or to say this is a low FODMAP version or, you know, because I think low FODMAP, some people might not even get it if they haven't been diagnosed with low FODMAP. But if you just say this is a gut health version or gut friendly version, um, that might bring things to the forefront. And so um, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. But I imagine if you saw that at a restaurant, you'd probably be a huge fan of that restaurant. Definitely. Yeah, I would love that to happen. Um, there is a restaurant actually in the UK who have a low FODMAP menu. Um, I believe they're up in Scotland, so I haven't okay. actually visited it yet because that's about a seven hour drive for me. Right. Um, so I'd have to be yeah very keen to go there to drive. <laughs> these to are, like, but, these um, are like Buddhist no, monasteries would... now to go and like, oh, I'm going to go to the FODMAP restaurant retreat. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, yeah. like it's so far away. Uh, it would it would be great. And it's something we're considering um, as part of Bay's Kitchen of looking at the food service industry and can we get some of our products being used in restaurants and things so that they can put low FODMAP dishes on the menu and stuff. Right. I think um, the whole the whole intolerance and allergy piece I get is incredibly difficult for a restaurant. Um, you know, in food retail where you're using manufacturing site, you can make, you know, however many thousands of, of the same product on one production run and do all your cross-contamination, clean downs and segregation of ingredients and everything really easily. But in a restaurant, you'd have to have completely separate ingredients, cooking areas yeah. and everything for, for allergies. So I, I can completely understand why that's so difficult. Um, but yeah, if someone could do it, I know it, so many people that would be a huge fan. I know yeah. I've got people that, uh, friends that, are, you know, um, suffer with nut allergies, which, you know, to, to eat out is just a massive risk anyway yeah. with any restaurant, really. Yeah. Um, with celiac disease, the same. With low FODMAP, um, I think... I think my issue with it is the the lack of ingredients that you get on menus and so and and the fact that the you know the servers aren't going to say right. they're not going to know right that, that that there is onion and garlic and lactose and wheat and this and that and that right. you know <laughs> in these in these dishes but if if there was a way that um I don't know you could almost look at that menu online or something and click in and you could see exactly what was in each dish you could make a more informed choice of which which dishes would be more suitable for me to eat you know right. I go on a lot of guesswork of right that's quite a creamy based dish so I'm not going to have that one because there's going to be way too much lactose in it it's that's not going to agree with me um that one it, I can ask for the sauce on the side and then determine whether I think it's it's going to be all right and so you know you can make a few decisions but if you could see the full kind of ingredient breakdown of each right. dish you'd know. Your mission is to increase the awareness of IBS as well and, and to remove the taboo that surrounds it um, and part of that is probably making it cool and having a nice brand and having a good social media presence and do you feel that um, do you feel that you, I, I feel that you're accomplishing the mission and, and you're doing a great job of it. Um, how, how do you, do, do you think there's, there's a long way to go? Do you, do you think this is a lifelong mission? Do you think we're going to see a lot of change in the next couple years, five years, 10 years? What's your prediction for us to get rid of the taboo? Um, I think we've come a long way. Um, I, I think I'm succeeding in the mission all the time, just from, um, the amazing customer reviews we get i think that's that's one thing that's always kept me going so through doing a startup business there are challenges along the way and there's a lot of times you want to give up and it's it's mm. those customer reviews that keep you going and just the emails you know occasionally when someone will actually sit and take the time to write you this amazing email that tells you how you've helped their family and um you know, we've got a review on Google, I think it is, that says how we've um, pretty much saved her marriage because it means that her and her husband wow. can actually eat the same meals every night and there's what no an arguments email. anymore. What of a what testimonial. I wow. know. It's a slow slow burner. I think it's the same yeah. as the low FODMAP diet and just getting that awareness out there. It's it's happening, but, but it's slowly. Um, got it. And I, I would say, I mean... Yeah, I would probably predict five to ten years it's going to take to, for for gut health and IBS and everything and low FODMAP diet to sort of take over the world. Um, I would say we've come a very long way in the last five years since I was diagnosed or six years. Um, but I think there's still, yeah, a very long way to go. Like you say, if, even if people have heard of FODMAP, they still have no clue what it is um, right. unless unless you're having to follow it yourself. Um, right. So and so and so anyone can go to uh, if they want to order from you, they can order from you from your website. And, and do you ship internationally as well? Uh, we don't ourselves, but we okay. have um, an export partner called British Corner Shop who okay. do and they ship all over the world. Um, 
but if yeah if you go to our website you've got the shop on there so if you're in the uk you can order on our shop and there's also a find your local store page um on there and that lists all of our stockists um and there's a whole international section so um british corner shop are listed on there but as well as there we have got retailers in um lots of european countries even australia dubai awesome. um no one in the us just yet but it's okay. it's on our any, radar. any in canada no not yet okay, well maybe i'll um, send a couple emails uh we might have some contacts here, so we'll see what we can do. Ah, that would be fantastic. Yeah, no, we'd love to. So, so it's, any listeners it's on can our go, list. Yeah, <laughs> listeners can go to bayskitchen.com. That's b a y s kitchen.com. And uh, as Bay said, you can go and, and check out a variety of uh, different online retailers and 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 local retailers as well. Um, I have a question. It says that you're uh, the my, my notes here that you're really into gin. What's your favorite gin? <gasps> Um, <laughs> good question. There is there's a brand called Whit- Whitley Neal, and it's their raspberry one. I yeah, oh. I love that. Um, but basically, Raving pretty much any flavored gin. I just I'm Flavor really gin. into flavored gin at the minute. Yeah, mm, I have not one. Your, not your standard gin, but just your flavored ones. I have this like special Hendrix. Uh, Oh, limited that's edition. A good point. Hendrix is good. Yeah, I just like smell it sometimes. I'm like, oh, this is great. Anyway, I promise I'm not an alcoholic. Don't worry, listeners. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, it was uh, any any final thoughts uh, before we wrap up here? No, no. I, it's just it's been great to talk to you. I'm really excited to look more into to Honeycomb as well and um, see more about what you guys are up to. But uh, yeah, thank you for listening to me waffle on all about Bay's Kitchen. (laughs) Thank you so much, Bay. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks so much. Bay's Kitchen produces award-winning, certified, low FODMAP, IBS-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free foods, many of which are vegan. Head to bayskitchen.com to check out their selection of sauces, soups, gravies, and more. Thai green curry, tikka masala, katsu curry. These are just some of the amazing flavors that they have available. Once again, head to bayskitchen.com. That's B-A-Y-S kitchen.com and sign up for their newsletter to get 10% off your first order.